right, hello out there again. Uh, this is Beck Barnes and Jim Stebman coming at you as always from the world famous Cotton Companion Studios here uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. And we are wrapping May up. What's today? The 20th, 28th. 28th of May. So uh, we are well and truly getting into summer. Whether you are joining us from Post Texas or Walls, Mississippi, we want to welcome you to our house. We are uh, joined, I rather am joined today by my partner in crime, Cotton Grower Senior Editor, Mr. Jim Stedman. Howdy, Jim. How are you doing, Beck? Uh, especially after a, an active Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, was, uh, it was a good one here in Memphis. Any, um, any sunburn you're dealing with? I am. I'm dealing with sunburn. I'm dealing with poison ivy on my ankles. So, yeah, it's, it's Memphis here and um, doing doofus yard care stuff, making every mistake you can make back there. So, <laughs> yes, it, it, summer is upon us here. Uh, and in fact, we have a rare, at least for our uh, corner of the of the cotton belt, a rare week of dry weather. So I know that our farmers here in the Mid-South are rejoicing over that because the flooding here in the Delta region of the cotton belt, especially further south, uh, has been a real headache and a, a serious matter. So we're happy to have some dry weather. Um, and we, with that, of course, we got higher temps. We've been in the 90s. I know if you are the Stedman family, that means a faulty air conditioning unit. Absolutely. Uh, right, right. As usual. Right. As usual. Right at the worst time as temperatures soared into the 90s over the Memorial Day weekend. So uh, keep Jim and his family in your thoughts, dear listener. Uh, I know he's getting that sorted out uh, today. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, before we get started, we want to have a quick word from today's sponsor, Enlist. This episode of Cotton Companion is brought to you by the Enlist Weed Control System. Ready to help you control tough weeds with 2,4-D choline featuring inherent low volatility. Okay, so that uh, actually is a timely Enlist ad because at this moment we want to bring y'all what we normally do, our brief custom content segment, which features Cotton Growers Custom Content Editor Robin Sickberg. And she recently sat down and spoke with Shauna Hubbard, a herbicides product manager at Corteva AgriScience, which of course is the agriculture division of Dow DuPont. And so we'll bring you that custom interview right now. Hello, I'm Robin Sipper, custom content editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. I'm here today with Shauna Hubbard, herbicides product manager at Corteva AgriScience. The Agriculture Division of Dow DuPont. Shauna, welcome to the program. Hi, Robin. Thanks for having me. As crop stages progress, um, we're often moving quickly in season to make herbicide sprays. So what, in your opinion, should applicators remember as they plan their weed control passes? When we get going like crazy out there, uh, it can be tempting to plow right ahead, but it's good to sometimes take a beat uh, and complete our prep work that can save us headaches and rework down the line. It's good to just remember to cover our basics on weed control, spraying when weeds are small and actively growing, and making sure that we're still actively assessing the pressure and weed species in the particular fields that we're targeting. Now, for phytogen enlist growers, as they think about planting weed control passes, they've got a lot of options to respond to particular types of weed pressure. With tolerance to 2,4-D-choline, glyphosate, and glufosinate, uh, they have three post options to spray. The other consideration, no matter which trait you're planting, is to think about layering residuals in 
to your post-emergent passes uh, so that you get a longer span of coverage and get more protection against the next flush of weeds. Okay, good. That sounds like excellent advice. And if, if you were to make a checklist for farmers uh, about what they should consider in the heat of the spray season, what would be on it? Yeah, for applicators, as you're running through that checklist, getting ready to spray, two big categories come to mind. Uh, equipment readiness and just observing conditions around you. From the equipment perspective, as you come up with that herbicide prescription for your particular situation on your farm, thinking through the right nozzles for that product or tank mix, correct boom height, ground speed, and carrier volume. Again, just going through our basic checklist on equipment setup. Uh, The second big topic is weather conditions and surrounding landscape. It can be tough for us to be patient as we wait for ideal conditions and sometimes we have to adjust on the fly, Uh, but we always wanna make sure we're taking the right steps for drift mitigation and good coverage so we get the weed control we're expecting. That would include watching our wind speed and direction, always looking out for temperature inversions and avoiding those. And for those spraying in list, remember to be extra cautious around a susceptible crop like non-enlist cotton and don't spray when the wind is blowing toward adjacent non-enlist cotton. Uh, So again, just a couple checklist steps as we get going quickly, uh, take a minute and make sure we've covered our basics. Yes, always good advice. Um, So as always, we want to let people know where farmers and applicators can learn more. So where can they do that? For farmers who are planting phytogen enlist cotton this year, thinking in that checklist mindset, the application guide found on enlist.com is a great tool to help you think about your main priorities before, during, and after spraying. So that's the application guide on enlist.com for phytogen enlist growers. Okay, well, our time is up, and so we need to wrap up. But thank you so much, Shauna, for being here. And uh, have a good rest of the day. Thanks a lot, Robin. Wishing everybody good luck during the spray season. So, all right, we uh, we know that y'all are planting out there, or you're trying to get that stand up and get things up and going. And so, we hope um, it's my hope that we are joining you in the cab of that tractor or that truck as you are out there on the farm this week getting things up and running on this 2019 crop, at least in my mind's eye, <laughs> that's where I see, that's where I see y'all listening to this podcast. My fingers crossed, somebody out there. It's, it's where we're counting on you being right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we know that you are. We get the metrics back. We know that there are a lot of y'all out there joining us, so we are very uh, thankful for that. And, and we got a great episode for you today. We're going to bring y'all the news of the day, the news of the past two weeks, as we always do. And then we're going to have our Market Minute update which is a special one for me. It features yours truly. Uh, it features the audio from my TV, my grand national TV debut that I did last week uh, where the good folks um, at Fusion TV invited me onto their TV, their news program to talk to them because Cotton was in the news the past couple of weeks as it was named as one of the, unfortunately, one of the targeted sort of uh, commodities in the latest round of trade war sparring with China. And so naturally they wanted to get some re- uh, uh, response or analysis from the cotton market. And so <laughs> wildly enough, they came to me for that. Um, and so I tried to do my best. We'll get to that in a little bit though. That will be our market minute update. 
And then finally, we're going to wrap things up in our one big set, one big thing segment where we're talking about just that, that market facility, excuse me, the trade war, which led to the market facilitation program announcements that USDA just made last week. Today's the 28th, I believe. Yes, that came last down week. On the 23rd. So anyhow, it's a, it's a packed show for y'all. Cotton has been in the news. So it's a little more newsy this week, and um, we're happy to do that for you. So without further ado, I want to hand things over to Jim here, and he is going to lead us in a focused discussion of all the news of the day. Take it away, Jim. Thank you, Beck. Um, obviously, as, as, as we've discussed, and I think as most people have seen for the last week or so, uh, there's been some big progress in cotton planting. Uh, we're looking at the May 19th uh, USDA crop progress report simply because the uh, with the Memorial Day holiday, USDA is running a day behind. Uh, but anyway, as they, they deserve a break. too. They do deserve a break at some point. Uh, but anyway, as of May 19th, overall, 44 percent of the U.S. crop has been planted, which is pretty much right on the five year average for this date. Uh, when the numbers come out this afternoon on that, it's that percentage is likely going to be much, much higher. Uh, as planting conditions, as Beck mentioned, have improved in many areas over the past week. But looking back at the numbers we have, California and Arizona continue to lead the way, uh, that with both states having more than 90% of their acres planted. Uh, the southeast states are still running ahead of average. Uh, one, one week planting increases uh, here over the last few day, weeks, ranging anywhere from 19 to 30% increases in planting among the southeastern states. The Mid-South growers are making up ground quickly with planting increases by state ranging anywhere from 15 to 28 percent. Uh, those states are, are still running well below average, but they're, they're catching up quickly. And good progress also reported for Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas, where we've had a little bit more weather issues, uh, particularly up in the High Plains, South Plains, and up into Kansas and Oklahoma that have slowed things down, continue to slow things down a little bit. Uh, we'll see what the numbers look like when uh, when the new report comes out later today. Looking ahead at uh, some of the other news, we have uh, the two premier U.S.-based cotton institutes are, uh, are getting geared up and ready to train the industry's future leaders this summer. Uh, the first one is the American Cotton Shippers Association International Cotton Institute. Uh, that runs from June 10th through July 18th. It is a six-week residential program held on the campus of the University of Memphis and provides basic education in all aspects of the cotton industry and the international business environment. Uh, the program is taught by a select group of guest faculty members drawn from the U.S. and global cotton industry. Uh, there's lots of experience there among those faculty members in cotton in international trade and marketing, and transcultural training. Uh, the program includes four field trips, including visits to farming operations down in the Mississippi Delta, and a trip over to Cary, North Carolina, to visit the Cotton Incorporated headquarters. Uh, although the program here begins within the next couple of weeks, uh, I understand that registration is still possible if you're interested. Uh, information on registration and details on the program and the curriculum can be found at bf.memphis.edu slash cotton. That's bf.memphis.edu slash cotton. 
if I can make a brief plug, plug for that Memphis school, I have had buddies of mine, especially when we were just kind of post-grad right out of college, who were farmer friends of mine from the Mississippi Delta who went through that program and thoroughly enjoyed it and learned a ton. So it's not just for international students who are making their careers in, uh, I don't know, the milling industry or the shipping industry. It's very much for farmers, too, um, or just American folks who are starting their careers in any aspect of the cotton industry. So there's my there's my pitch for our good friends at AXA. But it's true. I mean, I've had friends who love that program and they took that knowledge and went back to the farm and were that much smarter about their industry because of it. Absolutely. And, and, and talking with the folks at the uh, at the school, they generally run anywhere from 25 to 30 students a year. And these students literally do come from all, all corners of the world. Yeah, uh, for this this event. So it's a uh, it's a great school. It's a very uh, important part of the cotton industry, and uh, and certainly we we commend them for keeping this program going. And, and to be sure, that's a neat part of it too. If you're an old farm boy like myself and my buddies who have gone to do it, is suddenly you're sitting in the class with these, you know, uh, movers and shakers from the Far East or the Middle East, and you're you're going to Silky O'Sullivan's in downtown Memphis with some chic who's in the cotton industry from the Middle East, you know, I mean, it's, it is a, it's a neat thing to experience. It is a true global melting pot. There you go. And not, not to, not to mention that, you know, of course, Memphis at that time of year is pretty much melting anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, literally and figuratively. Literally and figuratively. Yeah. The other cotton school is the Texas International Cotton School. Uh, they'll be, they'll be doing their 39th session this year, and that will occur in August 5th through the 15th in beautiful Lubbock, Texas. Uh, this school is a collaborative effort between the Texas cotton merchants who make up the Lubbock Cotton Exchange and the faculty and staff of the Fiber and Biopolymer Research Institute of Texas Tech University. This is a two-week program that features more than 30 experts from across the U.S., uh, students learning about the cotton marketing chain, including seed breeding, farm production, harvesting, ginning, warehousing, merchandising, and textile manufacturing. And for that school, obviously, they're still taking applications. Uh, if you want more information, visit TexasInternationalCottonSchool.com. But let me spell this out for you because there's some abbreviations. T-E-X-A-S-I-N-T-L-C-O-T-T-O-N-S-C-H-O-O-L.com. Another, yeah, another great school. I mean, ditto everything we said about the Memphis program. Uh excellent folks who have come through that program out there in Lubbock through the years. So, Absolutely. And uh, our last news item is, and Beck has kind of alluded to it, and we will revisit it again as, as we get in deeper into the uh, this episode. Uh, obviously, the trade and tariff standoff with China is continuing to dominate the news, but two recent announcements out of Washington in the past week have captured the attention and the appreciation of the U.S. cotton industry. As Beck mentioned on May 23rd, the National Cotton Council expressed the industry's appreciation to the Trump administration for instituting a second round of trade mitigation payments for U.S. farmers. Uh, that program is going to be worth up to about $16 billion, I think, with the, are the original estimates on it. NCC Chairman Mike Tate, who was uh, present at the White House for the announcement of the program, said this round of assistance, which is like the first, similar to the first one initiated late last year, will help partially mitigate impacts of, of the retaliatory tariffs being placed on U.S. raw cotton to China. 
uh, and will continue to expand uh, provision of funds for export promotion, which the U.S. cotton industry obviously needs to expand markets for the raw fibers. Now, the final details of the program are pending at this point. We don't know what the payment situation is going to be for cotton. Uh, and so we're all just sort of waiting to see what, what those details are going to work out. Obviously, in the, in the middle of this, the NCC is also continuing to encourage the administration to keep the dialogue open with China uh, and help resolve these current trade tensions as soon as possible. A few days before that announcement, the Council also commended the administration for its negotiating with, uh, with, with Mexico and Canada to remove the U.S. Section 232 tariffs on steel and aluminum, uh, and with that, the corresponding retaliatory tariffs. Uh, that's important, as Mike Tate noted, that while cotton and cotton textile products have not been subject to retaliatory tariffs in these markets, this action represents one of the necessary and significant steps to create a pathway for congressional approval of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement or the USMCA, as it's, as it's known, uh, to get that agreement settled and, and in place this year. Uh, that approval is going to restore some certainty to the North American market, which represents significant export market share for both U.S. cotton and cotton textile products. So, again, uh, all eyes on Washington continue to be on Washington at this point uh, as we, uh, we move ahead into the summer and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah and, I, yeah, and I do want to stop you there, Jim, because we are going to revisit that topic here at the end of the episode. So um, I don't want you to steal too much of my thunder when I dive into that later. So I'll hold you, I'll hold you right there. So, But uh, as we mentioned earlier, we want to move along now to our Market Minute segment. And uh, I was telling you all earlier, I came to work one day, I guess it was two weeks ago now, and had an email in my uh, work inbox from a producer from this news program called U-News. Now that's an English language news program on Fusion TV, which is part of the Univision family. And that's a mouthful, but I want to assure y'all that they are a legit and excellent news program and they have Buku people who watch that show. Uh, it's daytime news programming, like uh, middle of the day uh, for most of the Cotton Belt. So anyhow, it's uh, it's an excellent news program. I was excited. I was overly excited, uh, probably. Yes, he was overly excited. To be invited to talk on this thing. This producer is, you know, being very polite. Be like, now what now what time could work for you? Could you do noon? And of course, I was like, oh, yeah, let me check my schedule. And of course, I would have cleared anything off my schedule. This person's asking me to be on national television. So um, I tried to uh, contained my excitement, and uh, but was happy to join him, happy to talk to him. The reason I mentioned this earlier, they sought me out because, unfortunately, Cotton was in the headlines la uh, two weeks ago or last week, too. I, I believe it was a Friday. We were in Willoughby that the Friday. Yes, yes. So that would have been, what were the dates that we were there? It was early May. Or it would have been the first, first week the, in May. End first of that week first in week in yes. May where Trump had circled that Friday as a deadline where he was going to uh, ratchet up some of these tariff percentages to like mm -hmm. 25% on that Friday. Well, Monday or Tuesday of the following week, the Chinese had retaliated. And unfortunately, Cotton was in the crosshairs of that retaliation. And so suddenly we were thrust into the spotlight. And I think, I, and I want to give good context here. I think the reason these people were seeking out someone familiar with the cotton industry is predominantly because they are interested in how farmers who are, and again, I'm trying to tiptoe through politics here, which is a loaded minefield, 
but they consider farmers, rural Americans, to be firmly in sort of uh, Trump-supporting country. And so they're gauging the reaction. They want to know, like, were you guys getting rankled by, uh, were you rattled by these trade disputes? And so, and and that is an interesting topic. I don't want to frame, you know, I think that these news producers are, have a, they come from a, decent and respectful place when they are asking that question. I don't think this is a, you know, old news media slant or anything like that. But so it was a tough question for me to answer because I know that y'all's reactions are nuanced to this thing. So I say all that to set up this interview. I want y'all to listen to it and decide for yourself whether you think I did a decent job answering that very tough question. And uh, yeah, um, just know I I tried my best. I hope you don't get too mad at me. (laughs) Give a listen uh, and judge for yourself how I did as we go to this interview that I did with Andrea Linares of the U News uh, television program. We'll go to that now. One of the sectors impacted by the trade war is the cotton industry. On Monday, Chinese officials retaliated with a 25% tariff, a punch in the gut to the U.S. heartland. We're joined now by Beck Barnes. He's the publisher and editor of Cotton Grower Magazine. Beck, thanks so much for joining us today on U News. Thank you, Andrea. It's my pleasure. So, what are the effects of this latest round of tariffs? Because I understand cotton growers were already impacted by tariffs imposed last September. Yeah, yeah, it's been a tough go. I mean, I would say that uh, short term impact of this most recent sort of round of of tariff uh, negotiations, if you can call them that, is that cotton prices have really suffered. I mean, I believe they settled yesterday somewhere in the mid-60s, around 66 cents, which is not a sustainable commodity price for cotton farmers. It's it's an expensive crop to grow, and, and, you know, uh, to put it frankly, 66 cents is is not going to cut it for most cotton farms to be able to scratch out a profit with this crop. And it's a difficult time for them because May is is planting time. They're trying to decide which crop to plant, which they can, uh, you know, uh, pencils out the best for their profits. And soybeans have already uh, been impacted by this trade war. So it's, uh, you know, a lot of them are kind of running out of options in terms of how to how to make a profit in 2019 on the farm. What would you say could be the long term effect of this trade war on the cotton industry? Yeah, so so absolutely. When you talk about long term, you know the Chinese, uh, that's where most of the milling in the world gets done. So uh, to put it briefly, you know we send them raw cotton and they uh, mill things and and make uh, clothing and and uh, towels and whatnot for the world. So uh, from the Western Hemisphere, because of the seasonal seasonal nature of of growing cotton, uh, some half the year they will get source cotton from the United States. The other half of the year, they will source it largely from Brazil in the southern hemisphere. And so what we've seen is that uh, as they've turned increasingly to Brazil, they are uh, strengthening the industry down there. For the longest time, uh, American cotton has been preferred primarily because Brazilian cotton had uh, older and not as sound infrastructure in terms of roadways, in terms of their ginning infrastructure down there. And now that the Chinese are uh, turning to them with greater frequency, they're making those investments and the Brazilian industry is really being strengthened by this U.S. trade war. And so, in effect, we are strengthening our number one competitor 
And uh, that is going to have long-term effects on this industry. I mean, that's after prices recover, if a trade deal gets done tomorrow, things will be great. Prices will shoot back up. But 10 years from now, we are going to be competing against a stronger Brazil because of what's gone on uh, recently with this trade war. Now, the largest growers of cotton are Texas and Georgia. We actually have a map to take a look at this. And now, these are states that supported President Trump. Do you find it ironic that these um, individuals supported the president and now this is taking place in regards to the tariffs? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I would say ironic. Um, I know that, you know, there's no secret this is uh, Trump country. These farmers are largely rural, uh, obviously rural uh, uh, Trump supporters generally. And so uh, I think it's, you know, the Chinese are, are smart with this trade war. I mean, they've, they've made no bones about it. They have targeted uh, what you would call Trump uh, country with a lot of this uh, posturing and maneuvering that they've done. Uh, as far as how that's being received in uh, the southern half of the United States, in what you might call Trump country, a lot of these areas, there is some grumbling and there is frustration with how this is being handled. I think there are a lot of farmers who are kind of questioning the wisdom, or I shouldn't say a lot. There are certainly starting to be some farmers who are questioning the wisdom of this trade war about you know what is there to be gained if a deal is struck. There is a feeling that it will only recover prices to where they should have been already had there never been a trade war. So, you know, they are um, they're frustrated. But, I, you know, I certainly would not ever say that they are uh, abandoning Trump or turning away from Trump for how his handling of this. There's certainly a large portion of cotton producers out there who support this, who frame it as if you question Trump now, you know, you are really uh, abandoning the cause. You're signing with you're siding with the Chinese to be abandoning your support of Trump right now. So it's, uh, there's mixed feelings and, and that's a new thing. It's the first time I've heard people kind of grumble and question Trump in this part of the world. Uh, but I would not say that they are abandoning him by any means. Well, the frustration may only be beginning for many people. Thank you so much, Beck Barnes of Cotton Grower Magazine. We know that the White House has designated a huge amount of money to help out these individuals, these farmers, but some people say that it's simply not enough. Thanks so much for your time, um, Beck, today. Hey, thank you. Okay, so that was my glorious television debut. Um, mercifully for y'all out in uh, listening via podcast, you didn't have to see my mug. It was actually a video interview that I did over Skype on my computer and had to position that camera just so, so the national TV audience didn't see how messy my office is. It was a lovely split screen image. By yeah, way. yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, um, I, I will say that I do not have a face for TV. So uh, that's, anyhow. that's the reason we do audio podcasts. Exactly. That's why you guys listen to a podcast. Yes. So uh, anyhow, uh, we are thankful to those folks at Fusion TV for allowing us to use that audio and for inviting us on. I'm happy to talk about uh, the U.S. Cotton Belt and y'all folks who we have nothing but the utmost respect for anytime they would like to talk to me about that. You never know, man. This might become a regular side gig. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, maybe i got to polish up on my Spanish if I want to go further with the, with the, even though that's an English language network, they, they, uh, their audience is is largely English speaking Hispanics uh, in the in the U.S. So anyhow, or maybe we should just build a backdrop behind you that you know will work for for TV. Maybe maybe I could also polish up on my English. I should probably master that <laughs> before I before I try anything else. So 
We'll move along here. We want to go jump to our uh, one big thing. You might have heard, if you listened to that interview, um, Andrea was talking about, she mentioned in passing, you know, she, well, we know that uh, the president is going to amass this large aid package that should come down any day now. And sure enough, two, here we are two weeks later, and that aid package is in the news. As we said, on May 23rd, USDA uh, did announce this second round of market facilitation program payments. I, I uh, will do some research and I guess uh, just grab the best summary or a, de- a good summary that I could find from AgriPulse. Here is how that uh, media platform uh, described sort of generally what went down last week. So the Trump administration will make up a $16 billion in new direct payments to producers and commodity purchases under a trade assistance package that was expanded and significantly modified from the aid package announced last year in response to retaliatory tariffs imposed on U.S. farm exports. Initial reaction to the plan was mixed, key note there, due in part to the lack of key details. Under the revised $14.5 billion market facilitation program, payments will be made to producers of grain, oilseeds, cotton, rice, peanuts, alfalfa, and other non-specialty crops based on a fixed rate for the county in which the producer farms in their 2019 planted acreage for those crops. Uh, The payment rates, this is my notes now summarizing, payment rates which were not released will be doled out based on USDA's assessment of the impacts of the trade war on a county-by-county basis. This is obviously different from the first round of these payments which were made on a fixed price per pound rate. I believe the rate in cotton in the first round of these payments was six cents per pound. That's correct. Uh, So naturally, the new rate assessment mechanism it has rankled some. The reaction has been mixed because of this. Uh, there's a little bit of ambiguity with respect to how that is going to be doled out. What is the rate going to wind up being uh, for you guys? We, uh, I don't think that anybody knows at this point. So sort of add to that confusion, there was an early report from Bloomberg last week in the run-up to that May 23rd announcement. I believe that report came out on around the 21st or maybe it had been a few days prior. Uh, but it did put a number on some payment rates, rates rather, for grains, uh, though it did not mention cotton. This Bloomberg report did not mention cotton, but they cited two sources within USDA who were familiar with this package that was going to be announced and uh, said soybean growers, for instance, would be receiving $2 per bushel. And I think each of the rates on the grains that they announced for wheat, corn, soy, soybeans, was um, I think moderately higher generally than that first round of payments. And so naturally, um, even though there was no mention of cotton in this Bloomberg report, I think a lot of people were optimistic that the number was going to be higher than that six cents that we got in the first round of these payments. And the rumor mills were churning. People were texting me, um, wanted to know what I was hearing. I had, I had, you know, it, it's an echo chamber. I heard the same rumors that these people were telling me about. Uh, optimistically, I heard people say, you know, on the high end that they were had heard there was going to be 10 to 12 cents on the pound for this version of the payments. And then lo and behold, this May 23rd USDA report comes out and it kind of <laughs> knocks down this idea that there's gonna be a set price, obviously. So a little bit of context here that I doubt any of y'all farmers who are listening to us will need. But a year ago this summer, cotton prices were sitting in the low to mid 90 cent range. And then the uh, first sort of salvo of this trade war was fired 
and prices have suffered, and y'all know that. They, they currently sit at around 67 cents. So we certainly hope that whatever rate is devised on this county-by-county county mechanism um, does something to, goes a long way in making up the difference uh, in terms of uh, the price that you guys are getting out there because we know that farming is not getting any cheaper, certainly, in, to produce a crop. So, uh, Jim, do we have any idea on uh, receiving some clarity on what these payment rates are going to wind up being or any other headlines, clarifying headlines coming out about this program, do you think? Well, I did a, a quick search this morning of some news sources, and uh, one one source was basically saying we might be later this week, early next week, uh, that the details will uh, will finally be announced by USDA. Uh, but knowing that President Trump is currently out of the country, uh, visiting Japan, going to be swinging through uh, through England, uh, making some state visits uh, before returning to Washington, <coughs> excuse me, and the fact that uh, that Congress is on recess at the at the current moment, I I think a lot's going to some things basically are probably going to wait until everybody's back in Washington before we get a definite announcement on that. Uh, certainly don't hold me to that because USDA you know, can, can certainly operate and, and make announcements on their own. But uh, I think we'll know by the, time, by the time we get around to the next podcast here, uh, I think we'll have those details in place and we can, we can spend a little bit more time talking about it. As far as prices are concerned, uh, we're sitting today, I haven't checked the prices this morning, but there was a little rally in the prices uh, late last week. Uh, I think took uh, took it back up close to sixty nine cents, and and some people are feeling much better about it uh, because the export numbers look really good last week. So uh, so people are, are obviously still buying cotton. Uh, there's still some speculation that USDA is or that the U.S. industry is looking at new markets uh, to expand. Uh, sales into. Uh, there's just a lot of things going on behind the scenes at this point. So uh, we'll all keep our, our, our eyes on, uh, on the market and, and the news at this point and, and see where it takes us. Yeah. And just for kind of, I know Jim mentioned that we could possibly have some developments on this thing by next week or maybe the week after. Today is the 28th. 28th, yes. Yes. So anyhow, we're the day after Memorial Day as we pod here. So, all right, we'll hold it up right there. We want to pause and get a brief message from our sponsor in list, and then we'll be back to get you out of here. Most cotton farmers have been battling weather this spring to plant their crops. In the rush, they can't afford to ignore weed control strategies. Adhering to a program approach, they can set themselves up for season-long control of even their toughest weeds. The Enlist cotton trait helps them take advantage of multiple herbicide modes of action. They can apply a burndown and pre-emergence treatments featuring residual herbicides, then take advantage of Enlist herbicides post-emergence. Enlist 1 is a straight goods 2,4-D choline that offers additional tank mix flexibility, including the ability to tank mix with glufosinate. Enlist Duo herbicide is a convenient blend of 2,4-D choline and glyphosate. Both feature near-zero volatility and reduced drift to stay on target during and after application. That's one less battle to fight. Learn more at Enlist.com. So, all right, that's going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. 
We want to thank Fusion TV and U News for allowing us to use the audio from our interview with those fine folks from a couple weeks back. Uh, once again, we want to thank Enlist for sponsoring us, and we thank you, dear listeners, sincerely for joining us. If you like what you're hearing, please tell your farmer buddies about us. They can get to us in three easy ways. The first, go to cottongrower.com at a forward slash companion, such that it reads cottongrower.com forward slash companion in your URL bar. And uh, you will find a nice landing page with all 48 now episodes of the great world famous Cotton Companion podcast. The second uh, is simply subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. That's a simple task. Subscribe, um, leave us a rating, leave a comment, let us know how you think we're doing. The third way, the best way to make sure you receive each episode of the Cotton Companion is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-news. You can do that by going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe, and you'll follow the easy steps you see there. Finally, make sure you're following us on, following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter, and on Facebook, you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Uh, we have post a lot of stories there first, so um, be a good informative follow for you on social media. We hope that you are enjoying our latest issue, which at this point would be the still the April issue. May, June will be hitting your mailboxes. May, June is a combined issue that will be hitting your mailboxes here in another full week or so. So this podcast is produced by the great Tyler Hatch. He works at the mothership Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own cotton companion, Jim Stedman, we wish you and your operation all the best. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cotton Companion. Visit Enlist.com to learn more about the Enlist weed control system and to hear from farmers experiencing the technology.